Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. The segment is known as Thrill Me. Um, I think maybe it's also the time that we retire that phrase and just make this like the horror thriller uh, segment of Hit Rewind. Just call it Hit Rewind. No more of the Thrill Me. What do you think, Kersey? Would that streamline things a bit? I think that's good. I also like that this is one of the only podcasts... You heard it here first, folks. This is the only podcast that is willing uh, to criticize itself for your entertainment and for your ultimate value. <laughs> I'm self-deprecating by nature, so it just... <laughs> I also just want to make it easier on everybody. I'm like looking at all the shows, I'm like, do these even need to exist? So I just all incorporated <laughs> all under the Hit Rewind name. Uh, on this show, we are actually in the year 1989 now, but we take our time doing this because horror was pretty fucking heavy in the 80s. So we're in the year 1983, it's the last segment of that before we jump into 1984, and we are discussing two wildly, wildly different movies. <laughs> the yeah, key... I'm, not, yeah. I'm not sure why we decided to go this, this weird with it, but well, you know what? Yeah. It, it works. There's no connective tissue whatsoever. It's just we're looking at what was left in the 1983 list that we wanted to do that wouldn't really qualify for trash cinema, maybe. Uh, maybe this one did. Uh, this one's the loophole. Uh, so it's Sleepaway Camp and The Keep, and the only connective tissue is they came out in 1983. That's it. Yep, you're you're not paying for this. Don't you bitch at me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so The Keep. Yes. First time watch. It's always been on my peripheral. I feel like it was on Joe Bob Briggs' show back on uh, TNT back in the day, Monster Vision, quite a bit, and I caught bits and pieces, but I didn't understand what was going on. Guess what? I just watched the whole damn thing. I'm still not sure what's going on. I felt like I watched it twice, and I, I, yeah, I still don't know what's what's happening. It's so dreamlike. It's just uh, it, lots of weird, dreamy slow mo and ambiguous behavior. And mind you, a lot of it I think is because he, I think if I remember correctly, a half hour of this movie was cut out and it was never actually finished. That and would Par make more sense. Paramount. Uh, so, do you know the backstory on this at all? I do not. Okay, so he had just come off of doing a bunch of TV work. He had a critically acclaimed hit called Thief, which I still think is his best movie. Um, and uh, he decided to go in a different way so that he was always connected to crime police stuff, which is what he had always done before this. So he does The Keep based on an old story uh, and, and tried to do like a war, supernatural, thriller. Uh, had everything lined up except the special effects guy died right before production began gave no notes nobody knew what it was supposed to look like and they had to start shooting immediately they didn't have time to hire anybody else to design it for them so michael mann had to guess and try to recreate the special effects himself which is weird because he doesn't do special effects what the hell is that about i mean to be fair though the monster is pretty damn cool it is but it's so strange that the studio's like yeah you've never worked in special effects but go ahead <laughs> yeah, we're kind of pinning this movie on the monster, and even though you lost your guy who makes the monster, I think someone who has no idea what they're doing should do it. Uh, makes sense to me. Originally a $3.5 million production, kind of under the radar, Paramount really didn't care. And with the special effects kind of being questionable, and the final shoot uh, was not satisfactory to Paramount, they went back and did reshoots, and, and, and Michael Mann still never really figured out the ending. And by this point, the budget is now $6 million. They uh, remove him from the film. They edit it on their own with salvage what they can. They dump it on like 180 screens for Christmas of 83. 
And now the movie is basically lost because somewhere along the way, Michael Mann either owns the rights to this movie or he negotiated with Paramount that he has to have um, control over any future releases. The only thing we found was a low-grade DVD that was released in Australia not that long ago, but it was pretty rough quality. It's Yeah, it's not great. Borderline work print quality. Yeah, it's incredibly dark in places it shouldn't be, and also really bright in some places it shouldn't be. It's a little all over the place. What's surprising about this is that we have Ian McKellen as a young man, Still looks very, very old on purpose and not on purpose. He's got, is that like that Jonathan Banks kind of thing? Yeah. Where he's just, he just was born to look old. <laughs> his face looks like, like a California raisin. <laughs> yeah, like he, he just, he hit his stride once he hit the age he was supposed to be. Uh, so basically, this is Nazi soldiers are pulling back and they, they go to a castle keep. And inside it, they discover there's an ancient evil there and they unleash it. Uh, and, by accident, we should say. By accident, in a very nice, yeah. gruesome death. Maybe the only gruesome death. I was very hoping that was going to be like a regular thing, like the guy who gets chopped in half. Yeah. And, uh, and there's really nothing. There's no other gory scenes in it, so it's kind of a build-up and a letdown. Yeah. Um, I w- so I'm not exactly sure what the point of the movie is, because I, I feel like at some point it felt like it was like recreating almost like the, the Gollum-type uh, legends. Um, I, I felt like they were going for that, and then that just kind of went nowhere. I, I don't really know what what the focus of the movie was supposed to be. Yeah, like the characters didn't feel like they were the focus. It, no, it, the monster well, it's never very... felt like it was the focus. It just kind of felt like things were happening. Yeah, that's exactly. There's no really strong narrative. You have here's the weirdest thing: Gabriel Byrne, uh, in one of his earliest roles, is also playing a German with Jürgen Prochnow, who is also German. One's an SS, one's just a regular soldier. Jurgen Prochnow, if you have a German accent, don't cast his superior with a British accent. That doesn't make any sense to me. What the fuck was that about? Hire two Germans or two British people. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. This is this is 80, 84, right? 83. 83, sorry. This is 83. Americans don't know any British people yet. Like, <laughs> Internet doesn't exist. No one knows what anyone sounds like. Yeah. Uh, and in, in the middle of all this, we have uh, a kidnapped Ian McKellen, who is an older gentleman, and his daughter, and they're supposed to find a way to control the evil Gollum. Uh, and it makes Ian McKellen younger and tries to put his powers through him or something like that. I, I got confused halfway through this movie. I'm sure some people have seen this a bunch and know it like the back of their hand. This is a first-time watch for me. Yeah, and there's probably more to the story that other people have probably picked up somewhere else. Yeah. About, I wonder if the but... book, I, if I got the book to flesh it out, I'm sure it would. So I'd understand oh, probably, yeah. Uh, then we have Scott Glenn, uh, who is an American, but he's actually, well, no, we don't know who, what he is for a long time, but he has a way of getting to the castle and defeating the evil, and we don't know why, and it's, spoiler, he's like the good version of the Gollum. Yeah, again, I... I didn't really pick up on that i was i thought like the golem was inside of him or was transforming him i wasn't sure what was no, I th- well i could be wrong too i thought that he was like uh, <laughs> the way it is an i come in peace where there's a good alien and a bad alien but everybody thinks they're both bad <laughs> and it's just mm. like i'm an international cop trying to find <laughs> our inter- interstellar cop trying to defeat an interstellar drug dealer <laughs> it's that kind of <laughs> nonsense 
But yeah, like like Terror Vision. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, in 1985 or 86, Canon Pictures tried to do a movie with Charles Bronson called The Golem, and I am almost certain they used the special effects creature from this movie in their advertisements. Really? Yeah. Okay, like I'll find the ad and send it to you sometime. But it looks real similar. But it, it, it's that's one of those mythological uh, creatures, you know, supernatural things that really isn't explored in films. Is the golem? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't know why. I, mean, I I think it has. It's a really interesting figure that can be used. Like again, that's why I thought it was a golem because it has. It, it, I, I thought it had some commentary to do with World War II, but maybe not. Maybe it was entirely coincidental. I don't know. But there could be something really interesting there if it was on purpose. But yeah. I don't think it was. And the creature looks badass as hell. It does. Um, that is it, the best part of this movie. Because everybody... Like, well, I think Ian McKellen is pretty fucking great in this film. Everything else is yeah, very is. ambiguous and dreamlike, and I, that apparently is the intention. But there's some sequences that go on forever because of the slow-mo, and I'm like, oh, mm. dear Lord, move along. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea that it, at first the uh, the creature is just shrouded in smoke, and it really helps with the the sort of dreamlike quality of, like, how do you comprehend seeing something like this, Yeah, uh, like, coming out of the ether. It looks really cool, and it, it was really disappointing because I was like, wow okay, now you got my attention, and then you don't see it again for, like, an hour. Yeah, I, I don't know how they did that so well when he is coming out and using the, 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 the fog, smoke, whatever, to kind of cover him up. It was very um, impressive for the time. And then, you know, of course, it's a guy in a rubber suit because what are you going to do? It's either that or stop motion. But it's still a pretty good costume. Yeah, and uh, I'll say that the music, 10 out of 10. Oh God, yes, the tangerine. I actually, dream I went back and started the movie over just because I wanted to hear that opening music. Yeah, uh, when those two Nazis were, like found the artifact or whatever, it was banging. I'm gonna say something outrageous that people will probably scratch their head and think I'm an insane person, but that's every episode. Um, I feel like Pan Cosmatos watched this movie and something about it connected to him, and he used elements of it in Mandy. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, especially if you watch uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow's first movie. Very similar yeah, in style. Dreamlike and the, the, the synth score and the, the ambigu- I can't think, ambiguity just in, in the slow burn. But it works mm-hmm. in Mandy. I just don't think it works here. But I, I admire what Michael Mann was trying to do because at this time, almost all horror movies are either slashers or they're the classic monsters. He was trying to do something nobody else was doing, especially a historical horror movie. They're, they're more common now, but back then that was new. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. It seems more like it was meant to be an epic, three hour style movie that just got shortened to an hour and a half, and it just lost everything that would have made it great. Yeah, I, I and they said he can't restore it. All the elements Paramount threw away, so he can't fix you know uh, finish off his vision. But I'm guessing. He made a lot of money during, like, you know, when he did Last Mohicans and Heat and Insider. And I wouldn't be surprised if he said, hey, Paramount, I'll give you, like, $2 million. You just give me the rights to this movie. Mm-hmm. And, cause yeah, I, I yeah. think if you're interested in sort of, like, like failed projects or things that could have been, this is an interesting watch. But if you're trying to watch it for entertainment I don't I don't think it's really your yeah. and I don't think it's going to be anyone's thing it's also very hard to find I, that was a bootleg I sent you 
That's the only because yeah. it's basically erased in America. Yeah, and probably for good reason. It, like again, it's more. It just leaves you kind of disappointed in in a way that is like there's so much potential here um, that it's just a shame that it'll never be finished. Yeah, and it's not even the director's fault or the studios. It's just one of these things where everything just kept going wrong. How do you salvage... I mean, as an executive at Paramount, how do you salvage a movie that almost doubled its budget? You kind of just have to go cut it, let's finish this, wrap it up right now, and make this as commercially viable as possible, which is weird why they only put it on 180 screens if they were trying to make their money back. If if you're only going to put on that many screens, then just let the whole vision come out. You know, make it an art house film. Yeah. Um, What are you going to do? Yeah. So there's that uh, movie that uh, has its cult following. Now, Sleepaway Camp has blown up over the last decade to such massive amount of cult following. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. It's Yeah, and it's not your everyday simple... Uh, slash movie. A lot of the stuff that we've watched and talked about for the show, it is very straightforward. I almost wonder if the director is fucking with us the whole time. Like he knows this movie's crazy. They just there's some really like head scratcher weirdo moments and excessive acting. <laughs> there, oh my god, oh, it's it's absolute classic. And I, I know people like the sequels, but they're aware of what they're doing. They're not ambiguous about whether or not it's a spoof or a terrible movie. It's not as good. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised there was any scenery left after all those actors chewing it. It was crazy. I love... So first off, you have another dreamy kind of opening sequence in the past where you're trying to set up what's going on, but it doesn't really answer anything. It just gives you a tone of, what? (laughs) What the fuck is going on? (laughs) And, the, the, the opening scene just immediately throws you in the deep end after like the dreaming sequence where it's like all these kids going to summer camp and like the first conversation is a guy who's like a sexual predator oh god like preying on the kids and they're like okay it's this kind of movie i guess and it was just, and it was it's just nuts like from the beginning it just is like, yeah, we're we're this movie's gonna be nuts. All right, we're going crazy. Well, you know how in the Jason movies, it's oh, they did drugs and drank and had sex, therefore they deserve to die. Not really. Yeah, but That's they just... had sex with each other. It wasn't like it. What they weren't diddling the kids like right? this movie's now fine. sleepaway camp. Every single last <laughs> one of these fucking people deserves it, except maybe the kid at the very end. I'm not so sure about that, but yeah. um. Like, immediately, yeah, that Sleazoid, he's like, if there's grass on the field, play ball or something. Yeah, and then, and then the other guy who's with him is just like, eh, that's Billy for you. Like, what the fuck? No, do you know, awesome, Do buddy. you know who that is? Uh, no. <laughs> that was James Earl Jones' dad. They have the same voice. Are you serious? Yeah. How does your father oh, that's just come out of doing Conan, or uh, your son come out of Conan the Barbarian, being Darth Vader, <laughs> and then you're like, yes, yeah, son, I got, uh, yes, I know you got Return of the Jedi coming up. Uh, I have sleep away camp <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that's that's going to be some awkward thanksgiving conversation yeah. <laughs> sure. especially since sleepaway camp actually did okay it was more of a video hit but it did okay in theaters because it only cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars. i think it made like six or something like that a lot of it from word of mouth this ending is truly memorable but everybody talks about that but they don't talk any other crazy shit the fact that there's a a female psychiatrist doctor uh, who apparently is completely out of her fucking mind. And she she talks like a very 
I was in theater. My, my degree's in theater. And you know when you have a very bad theatrical local stage actor? That's her. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you talking about the, the mother? Yes. Holy balls. She was the best part of the movie, though. It is, it right? So I also good. love the old man who looks just like that one gremlin in Gremlins 2 with the huge lips and mouth and the cigar. <laughs> Dude, the the mom. Okay, so I went to like the Portland Film uh, Short Horror Film Festival, like local entries and stuff like that. And uh, the the mom was like straight out of one of those. It was yes. it was fantastic. Oh she was, god, she was wonderful. the best part. And Angela, half the movie just requires her to look catatonic, and then yeah. then they don't flip on a dime back to normal. And you're like, okay, that's how a kid acts. And oh, back to catatonic. You're like, what direction was this guy? I think it's Robert Hertzig, Hertzig or that directed this. This guy is a madman, and I am here for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, these deaths are so gruesome, too. That's $350,000 budget. I'm guessing most of it was spent on those special effects. Yeah, it was not spent on actors. No. It, was, it was... I mean, they had fun. Like It looked like everyone was having a good time, and that just kind of adds to yeah, it's very kind of the charm to it. soap opera actor, very campy, and I, I love everybody's performance, because it's all big, big, big! Oh, dude, when, when the... When... The, the guy is like trying to hide all the deaths and then thinks that one of the like, little kids is doing it and then tries to kill the kid. Oh, that like, is I could just, true. the only thing I could do is just talk about moments in this movie because that's all it is. It's yeah. just excellent, hilarious moments that just keep adding up over it's, time. It's not as weird as the mom, but it is completely yeah. outrageous. He is tearing that sh- uh, uh, scenery apart. And I yeah. love that the fact that we never get the answer of what happens to him. He beat the shit out of that kid and then ran off, and we never get an answer if he went to jail or what. I don't know if that explains it in the sequels. I haven't seen any, but no. I definitely want to check out the sequels. No, Pamela just comes back like, uh, and, or sorry, Angela comes back like uh, seven years later, and she's now a camp counselor. And she just goes around, and it's very spoof. It's, it's almost airplane-level spoof. So it, it, it doesn't have any of the sleaziness. It doesn't have any of the perversion weirdo um and, and the acting is very straightforward it's they're just not as fun mm-hmm. i think yeah, there's actually uh, five of these sorry, actually. i think there's five of these sleepaway camps because i know four was mostly done and they edited it together later and then there's uh i want to say return to sleepaway camp like in 2001 or something like that i'm gonna look this up because i know there's quite a few sequels all the way to 2000. That's that's insane. Yeah. We probably should address because I think that most of what people know is the ending of this movie. Uh huh. Um, and I gotta say that after watching it, I don't. I I think that the sort of transphobia that a lot of people have like the stigma attached to it. I don't think that it's intentional, and and honestly, I don't think they even covered it that badly i think they kind of failed a little bit on the execution because it was mostly about the trauma that the kid endured right this person was never identified as trans and was never officially transitioned i don't think so i don't think that that was part of it it was mostly just about the the fucked up mother like terrorizing this kid into becoming a serial killer correct um, yeah. Looking at this right now, it cost three hundred fifty thousand dollars. It made eleven million dollars at the box office. Jesus! The last yeah. entry in the f- series, there was a big gap. So it's eighty-eight was part two, eighty-nine was part three. They shot them back to back, and then Return to Sleepaway Camp is in two thousand and eight from the same director. The... So now I have to see it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we gotta we gotta check that out. When, when we go back to doing um, the uh, 
the other one, which I can't even remember the name of it right now, the other podcast, The Grindhouse or whatever. Oh, um, yeah, Trash Cinema. Trash Cinema. Wow, it's been so long, I can't even yeah. remember. When we're doing Trash Cinema again, we got to do the all of the sequels to Sleepaway Camp, because I want to see them all. Definitely. Um, I'm looking at this. Oh, it was done in 2003, but they didn't have the money to finish the CGI effects, so they waited for a distributor, which was Magnolia Pictures, uh, aka Magnet. They've always been good with the low budget horror oh, films. Uh, I think their best known is probably Rubber. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, so yes, we'll have to find this. I'm, I'm very interested. How it brings back the original could there Angela. Possibly be, though? What's that? How much CGI could there possibly be? Though? I don't know. It's two. They probably demanded like CGI blood. It's 2008. After uh, 300, That's everybody true. has digital blood flying everywhere. Yeah. It's probably good. Uh, yeah, it's a very fun movie, and it's very weird, and uh, I think the special effects are there, man. They don't slack. A lot of these lower-budget horror films, they don't have, uh, they just, you know, it's just a knife and some fake blood, and that's it, but they show, like, I like bubbling from the boiling water. I thought that was a great death. They held, they held that on camera for a long-ass time. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other deaths. There was the B one, uh... Which sounds like it was horrible. Um, I feel like someone got dumped into a toilet. The outhouse. Yeah, I, I feel like I remember that, but I don't remember. Uh-huh. They took a stick and drowned her in shit. <laughs> but at the end, when she's holding his head, just caressing it, and then just picks it up. So I yeah, always thought I... that was some sort of split imagery, where they held her face, like copy-pasted over a boy. Mm-hmm. And it's not. It's literally a mask. Uh, it's yeah. stuck in that. I didn't notice that until I saw it in the HD. I'd only ever seen like a shitty YouTube copy. Yeah, it, honestly, it works. Yeah, uh, it's creepy. There's a, that image really does stay with you. This it looks, uh, it's so bizarre. Back in the day, I was not allowed to watch horror movies. I was way too sensitive, and slowly I was able to watch them on TV. And then the original versions, like you know, in the mid '90s. But when I was a kid. We would go to Kohl's, and back then, Kohl's was more than just a clothing store. Um, it was a two-story one in Fort Wayne where the top was toys and hardware and an entertainment section. And I would just go up there to go look at the horror movie covers. That's the closest I could oh, get yeah, to seeing them. And the first time I had ever heard of this movie was on that and just seeing the, 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 the written note, Mom, people are dying at camp, and there's a knife going through and there's blood or whatever. And I was like, what is Sleepaway Camp? i got to know what this is. And it took like another decade before I could actually see it. Yeah. That's funny. I do the same thing when I was uh, kid at Blockbuster or uh, Hollywood Video or whatever. Like, my parents would like leave me at the kids' section, and then as soon as they're like they're off, somewhere else i would just immediately go to the horror section nice <laughs> i think a lot of us had that when i find out people got to see horror movies like under 10 i'm like what what planet are you on that that was okay <laughs> you, you have divorced parents or something right? i don't know my friend uh ken when he was three years old he was taken to see dawn of the dead a revival showing of dawn of the dead what yep he okay. saw so many That's movies absurd. he he would literally get dumped off at the movie theater when he was way too young to be by himself, like when he was five or six, and he would just go see R-rated movies. No one cared, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <sighs> All right, so that is it for this episode. Next one, we're going to be jumping into 1984. We're going to be watching Firestarter and Children of the Corn. Hey, start the year off right with some Stephen King. What do you think? I love it. Children of the Corn, uh, I think, is really good. All right, so that will be our next episode. And uh, check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind and Twitter at Retro Rocket Entertainment. And that is it for the night. Kersey, send us out. All right, good night, everyone.